Hello and welcome to our BMJ Best Practice Clinical Podcast. I'm Dr. Alison Walker, a clinical editor at BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning. This podcast is about hypertension. We'll briefly discuss the definition of hypertension and current guidelines on diagnosis and management, and in particular, the implications of the 2017 Joint Guideline from the American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association. To help us discuss this, I'd like to welcome Dr. Jeffrey Brettler, an internist affiliated with the Kaiser Permanente West Los Angeles Medical Center and author of the best practice topic on essential hypertension. So, Jeff, could you start by telling us how the American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association guideline defines high blood pressure? Sure. Thank you for uh, having me. It's a delight to be participating uh, in this podcast. So, uh, the ACC AHA guidelines, which came out mid-November of 2017, were a uh, quite a dramatic change for a number of issues um, in hypertension, um, starting with how we define hypertension. So previously, the the existing definition was anyone over 140 over 90. Um, the ACC AHA has redefined hypertension. Um, to uh, 130 over 80 as our threshold. They've created a new category of elevated blood pressure, which includes the systolic range 120 to 129 uh, with a diastolic under 80. Um, And normal is now defined strictly as under 120 over 80. Okay, and so what does this mean for clinicians and their patients? So this is a, a very significant change in definition, at, at least in America. Our current incidence uh, of hypertension is about 32%. So if we were to adopt the ACC AHA guidelines, it's estimated that almost half, the, the precise number is about 46% of Americans would now be defined as having hypertension. Um, so that adds over 30 million Americans, um, slightly over 100 million Americans would now Um, carry a diagnosis of hypertension. Okay, and so will that lead necessarily to more people having to take blood pressure-lowering drugs? Absolutely. So I think there's a couple of issues here. Number one is um, because we have a a lower threshold for diagnosis, more people uh, will, of course, be uh, defined as having hypertension. But the second major change with the guidelines was defining a, a new goal uh, for blood pressure management, and that goal is also 130 over 80. So by virtue of both a, a more mm. aggressive definition and a significantly more aggressive goal for treatment, very many more Americans would um, both have to initiate blood pressure treatment um, or those on existing treatment would have to increase their, their medication regimen. Okay, but then what about the lifestyle interventions um, for people at the lower end of the hypertension range? Is that a, a change? So there were really no um, significant changes in lifestyle recommendations. All of the interventions that we know work, um, lower salt intake, weight loss, uh, moderate alcohol, uh, daily exercise, all of those were continued and strongly uh, reinforced and recommended. Um, I think what's changed is, the, again, the threshold uh, for, um, for diagnosis, but also the goal. So um, if you are not meeting goal after lifestyle measures, then medications are needed. Um, and it gets a little bit more complicated than that because risk now comes into our stratification for who needs treatment 
and how quickly a patient needs treatment. So if you're at high risk above the threshold, you initiate treatment. If you're at lower risk, then lifestyle is certainly encouraged first. But after a three-month trial of lifestyle, if you are not at goal, then medication is recommended. Okay. And there is another change, isn't there, as well as the patient having to initiate lifestyle interventions, there's something about self-monitoring, isn't there? Yes. Yeah, so this has been a, an emerging concept in the hypertension literature for a number of years. Uh, the USPSTF um, uh, issued a, an important document in 2015 on how to make a diagnosis of hypertension. And it really comes from uh, a large body of literature that suggests that out-of-office blood pressure readings are more predictive of long-term cardiovascular outcomes. The best information we have, the most accurate out of office, is with 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure monitoring, um, but there's also good data with home blood pressure monitoring as well. So the USPSTF strongly recommended that before we make a diagnosis of hypertension, uh, we need to confirm with out of office blood pressure readings uh, with, again, ABPM initially if possible, but if not, then home BP. The second point is, which is somewhat new and which was not necessarily um, stated explicitly in USPSTF, but ACCHA makes a strong statement for using out-of-office readings to help manage hypertension. So um, not only just to diagnose hypertension, but then the ongoing management of hypertension and medication titration should be adjusted based upon out-of-office readings. So that's a, that's a very significant change for us as well. It's something intuitively that, that we've known for a while, but the, but the guidelines are, are very explicit in recommending that. Right, thank you. And so when it comes actually to the initiation of the medication, have there been any big changes or surprises in the drugs that they recommend? No, no significant changes in the types of medication and the order of medication that we should be using. So the basic three categories of medications that uh, have a very strong body of, of evidence support uh, are maintained, and those are thiazide-type diuretics, calcium channel blockers, and either ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers. So the same three basic categories uh, are reinforced, and um, as Per um, the literature, the last several years at least, spironolactone um, is the fourth agent preferred for um, those patients who are resistant after the, initi the initiation of the prior three mentioned categories. Okay, so we're on solid ground there with the drugs. But um, I wonder if you could explain how the new guideline will fit with the GNC8 guideline on the management of high blood pressure. And so where are the areas of disagreement? Right. So lots of areas of disagreement. And, and, I, and I think the, the guidelines, which are very, very extensive, realize that um, there are 15 sections to, to the ACC AHA guidelines and over 106 recommendations. The, the guidelines themselves themselves cover several hundred pages. So um, there's a lot of uh, work going on right now within organizations and societies digesting the, the full scope of uh, these very extensive guidelines. So I think over the next couple of months, we'll see different organizations come out in varying degrees of support. As an example, 
the AAFP, the American Academy of Family Physicians, who themselves issued a guideline in conjunction with the American College of Physicians earlier this year, uh, recently came out with a position statement fairly strongly against uh, the ACC AHA guidelines. So I think we're, we'll be hearing more about this in the ensuing couple of months. But getting back to JNC-8, this is a very major change. Uh, JNC-8 um, used the general goal of 140 over 90 for most hypertensives, uh, but allowed a goal of, of under 150 over 90 for patients older than 60 uh, who didn't have diabetes or chronic kidney disease. Um, so um, essentially, it's a complete sea change from that set of guidelines. Okay. And I understand that one of the reasons the um, the new guideline has changed is because of the SPRINT trial. Do you want to say any more about that? Absolutely. SPRINT Sprint really is is the the biggest and most significant hypertension trial, at least in the last 10 or 15 years. Um, a very, very well done multi-center trial involving over 9,000 patients um, and very highly regarded. Uh, the trial looked at a, a conservative goal of 140 systolic versus a more intensive goal of 120 inappropriately selected high-risk patients. The trial was terminated after a little over three years because of cardiovascular benefit reduction in, in heart outcomes and mortality. Um, and, and this is a very, very important trial that I think adds to a growing body of evidence that in, in the appropriately selected patients, lower targets may be better. Now, it's very important to note which populations were covered in SPRINT. So this was a high-risk population. And so it included basically patients had to be over 50 with some additional risk factors. And those additional risk factors were evidence of cardiovascular disease, Framingham risk score of over 15%, 75 plus was an indication as well. And what we saw in, in those high-risk sprint populations was a significant reduction um, in cardiovascular outcomes and mortality. Um, the other major issue with sprint uh, was that the methodology of blood pressure measurement was quite a bit different from what uh, many practitioners use um, in routine practice, and it was essentially done by AOBP, Automated Office Blood Pressure. Um, this is a, um, a methodology where uh, the blood pressure machine is, is pre-programmed uh, to, to mandate a five-minute waiting time and then takes a series of three readings, uh, each separated by one minute. Um, the observer um, is not in the room and what we find is that these readings tend to correlate well with awake ambulatory blood pressure monitor. And depending upon the reference and the source, uh, AOBP readings are thought to be between 5 and 15 points lower than traditional office readings. So, yes, we have shown that in, in appropriately selected patients, 120 systolic is a better goal than 140. But the way we measure blood pressure is very critical. Right. Hence, I guess, the change to the monitoring of blood pressure and the ongoing management in the new guideline. Are there any other controversies that clinicians should be aware of? So the other, one other important point that uh, ACC is stressing is the concept of masked hypertension. Um, 
So this is where your blood pressure is higher out of office than it is in the office setting. And the ACCHA guidelines um, encourage us to look for this, to screen for it in appropriately selected patients. And then similarly to our discussion earlier where we use out-of-office readings to help us both diagnose hypertension but to manage hypertension as well, if we do discover mast hypertension, uh, we would use those out-of-office readings uh, uh, as well for, for management. So mast hypertension we know has adverse cardiovascular outcomes. We don't have any definitive randomized clinical trials which show that, that targeting of mass hypertension improves outcomes, but intuitively it makes sense. If we know that, that the out-of-office readings correlate better with, with adverse cardiovascular outcomes, then treating those out-of-office readings uh, makes good clinical sense. So what are the main objections? SPRINT was a very um, important trial, but it was a systolic trial. So we don't really have a very strong evidence base for pushing that diastolic goal under 90, at least from RCTs. Mm -hmm. And the ACCHA guideline even acknowledges this. And I think this is one of the major points of contention um, with some of the other guideline organizations, at least within the United States. Um, so using a goal of 80 uh, diastolic is really primarily based on expert opinion. The ACCHA does a nice job in grading all of their recommendations and all of the diastolic goals are expert opinion. So I think that's one area of very significant contention is do we use a diastolic goal of 90 or 80? Um, and the purists, the, the JNC8 folks um, who really base their recommendations solely on RCTs would say that there really is only good RCT evidence for a goal of 90. Now why ACCHA chose 80 is obviously there's very good epi epidemiologic observational data which shows that the lower numbers are better. And then two other areas just to note, number, number one, diabetes. ACCORD trial very clearly showed that there was not a benefit in um, in an aggressive goal of 120 in diabetic patients. Um, and so that is another area of controversy. Um, and in fact, if you look at the American Diabetes Association, which just issued their 2018 standards of care and, and had a recent position statement on hypertension, they maintained a blood pressure goal of under 140 over 90 for all diabetics with a consider 130 over 80 in appropriately selected patients. Um, if the patients could obviously tolerate a larger medication burden. So I think diabetics is the other area of controversy. And then last, we have the low-risk patient. So SPRINT, as we went over, is a, is a high-risk patient population. We don't have as good hard randomized clinical trial data regarding aggressive goals of treatment in low-risk patients. So I think that is the other area of controversy within the new guidelines. If you have a low-risk patient, should 140 over 90 be the goal, or should it be 130 over 80? Okay, so that leaves quite a few areas for the practicing clinician to um, have some discussion over, or indeed have to refer to the guidelines for for um, better understanding. I think it. I think initially this is going to be confusing for clinicians mm. as well as patients, and. And when you have something that, that's so important um, and so prevalent, it's the most chronic uh, 
medical condition that that we deal with. It's it's the most common reason for office visits, and to have very divergent sets of guidelines will be confusing. Um, it'll be interesting when the regulatory agencies, at least in the U.S., start to weigh in because a lot of what drives um, practice in the U.S. is also what the what the governmental regulation agencies look at as appropriate targets. So time will tell uh, whether ACCHA is adopted in, in totality or just in part. Okay, thank you very much to Dr. Jeff Brettler, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope this podcast has been helpful, and if you do want to find out more, then please click on the link to sign in to BMJ Best Practice and look at our topic on essential hypertension.